You listen to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry, once again. And for this episode, I'll be chatting with the author of Moving Beyond Betrayal Help Getting Past What You May Never Get Over. I'll be right back with Cassandra Dr. K. Brown. So good evening, Dr. K. Brown. Welcome to 247 Real Talk Podcast. Thank you for joining me. It's 11.30 or 11.37 Eastern Standard Time. Pretty late in the evening, and I, but I appreciate you being here. Good evening, Julian. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share this time with you. It is a great, it's a pleasure, it's all mine. And so as I do on this podcast, we're gonna, just going to jump right into it and uh, ask you to introduce yourself to myself and my audience and tell us who Cassandra Dr. K. Brown is. <laughs> Thank you. Listen, I have to start by saying I love your music. As you were doing your, your voiceover, I'm just sitting in the chair grooving. Like, boy, I love this song choice. Well, thank you very so much. <laughs> it, it's very like getting in the mood. So that's great. Um, Cassandra, Dr. K. Brown is a preacher, teacher, speaker, author, trainer, and life coach. I chose to take this opportunity with the COVID pandemic and lockdown to actually pivot from doing what I can do to doing what I love to do. So I'm a licensed insurance agent. I've been selling insurance now for 15 years, I believe. It's been a good while. Um, and I've done pretty decent at that. It's not that I didn't do well, not that it, it just wasn't that thing that, um, that I knew that I was made for. You know, there's an old saying, it says, your job is what you're paid for. Your passion is what you're made for. So I decided to start actually operating in my passion, and I am having a ball. I want to explain how I got the name Dr. K. I don't have any degrees. I'm not a doctorate in anything special. I was um, on an online prayer call with a group of women for about 15 months. When I started, when I joined them, I wasn't very talkative. And I know when you talk to me now, hard to believe there was ever a point where I didn't talk. Uh, but I wasn't talkative. Somehow they got on a topic that prompted a lot of ideas and information from me. Once I started sharing, the leader of the group said, oh, you've got so much good information. From now on, I'm calling you Dr. K. And from that day till now, it stuck. The next day, she called me Dr. K. The day after that, other people on the call started saying Dr. K. Then they referenced me as Dr. K on um, on social media. And it's just, it's been maintained. So that's how I got the name. I am a mother of four adult sons who are all gone, grown, and don't need a loan. <laughs> They're all successful. Yeah, that guy got the laugh. Two of them are married. Two of them are single. The oldest is an HVAC engineer. Um, the second in command is a pilot, an international pilot. Third is a mechanical engineer. And the fourth is a chef with the Navy or actually with the Naval Reserve. And it is the first and the fourth who are married. I'm expecting my first grandbaby. I am so excited uh, in October. So I am thrilled about this next realm of my life. 
That is that is great. You have not only a lot going on, but a lot of positive things going on, which is mm-hmm. um, great considering the direction that this conversation is about to uh, take. And that is, we are, and I've said this a few times on various episodes, but it's it has to be repeated because it's a reality. We are, I don't know what part of the pandemic we're in. You know, we we think we know where we are, but each day we kind of uh, see a new reality and, and hope hope that we don't go backwards. But it's been a long pandemic. Um, yeah, obviously, it's been a long road. Yes, we, 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 we don't have anything to reference because the last one, I think, was 1918. Mm-hmm. But for us, it's been a long time. I, I have surpassed um, the one-year mark of working from home. Mm-hmm. And... Um, during this pandemic and, and this thing, you know, having guests on my show and listening to stories, it's become so evident that there have been a lot of uh, resulting factors from it. Some that we see visibly and hear about every day, the unemployment, the businesses struggling, etc. But then there's some in the background that should be in the foreground. And that includes what's going on within the homes, within, you know, we as we all have thresholds and in any type of relationship, it takes a certain amount of effort to maintain harmony under normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we were forced to, you know, sort of quarantine and be right under the same roof for more hours than many people would have you know, even wanted to uh, mm-hmm. with, with, with others. And sometimes when you're forced into these type of positions, you kind of learn things you never knew or you mm-hmm. kind of hit thresholds of how long you can deal with someone. And unfortunately, we a lot of us are very poor at handling those situations. And the result is some sort of abuse, whether it's verbal, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical. And in our conversation, we're going to talk about not only what you survived, but the advice you have in, in, in working through your process and how it can be such a valuable tool to many people who will who are emerging from this situation and, and are in the struggle of their lives um, because we know the impact of that type of abuse is mental, physical, emotional, and, and mm-hmm. you know, overwhelming. So financial. Financial, right. So tell us a bit of background about your experience. Before we get into your solutions and your journey, tell us about what you experienced. The experience, I was married for 12, a total of 12 years, 10 years we were together and two years we were, we lived separate, 10 years together, two years separate. And I have to admit that from the beginning, there were red flags that I refused to acknowledge as red flags. Um, He had a temper that flared up on occasion. And I thought the first time it flared up that I had handled it, that I had explained to him that was unacceptable behavior. Um, but what is a molehill while you're dating is a mountain when you're married. So, of course, my big, bold conversation, we're not going to have those kind of angry outbursts. You're not allowed to call me names. You don't run my life. That I, All of that. I still married him. Red flag. Um, what was one of the other red flags? There was a red flag where... He did not, he didn't like spending time with anybody, I mean, other than me. So if we went out, 
the whole conversation was, okay, when do we get to leave? When do we go home? We tried to go to the movie theater. I don't like movie theaters because I'm afraid that someone will cough and I'll get some disease and I'll die. <laughs> we just So there was a tremendous amount of insecurity. Found out in the marriage, once he got angry, he didn't just get angry, he raged. Uh, became physically, now he never hit me or my children, but punch holes in the wall, kick the door, uh, throw the TV set off the stand, cursing, yelling, all of that, full-blown. And then two days later, once he settled down, it's, hey, Cass, you want me to take you shopping? Yeah, the, the, the hey, payoff. Uh, let me take you and the kids out to dinner. I, I will tell you what was really interesting to me in this. I know we said we didn't want to get into solutions, but I would venture to say, because I did not understand that I was actually in an abusive relationship, that someone may be hearing this and they don't know they're in an abusive relationship. I found out by watching an episode of an old show called Designing Women. One of the lead characters had gotten married and she started showing up to work with, you know, an arm sling, a bruise, uh, moving an arm and wincing. And it find, they found out she was being physically abused. What I noticed was the pattern of when he was abused, she would make an excuse and then he would buy her an expensive gift. Right. And I realized that I was in the same pattern. We call them, we had an affectionate name. We call them nutty. So we just say, daddy took a nutty. That was the, that was the event. And then I would make excuses for him. Well, you know, kids, your father does get angry from time to time. You know, you need to you need to clean your rooms better. You need to do X, Y, Z better. Or, you know, when you see him starting to go this way, just, you know, go go into your bedroom and go get away. And then two or three days later, it's, hey, Cass, let's go out to dinner. Let's take the kids out to a nice restaurant. Or, you know, Cass, let me take you shoe shopping. And I realized that this, and when I thought about it, I saw that on the TV show. And the light dawned in the marble hallway. Yeah, when so he, I'm actually in an abusive relationship. He's not physically violent. He didn't touch me or the children, but throw things, punch walls, damage the house. He broke a bunk bed one day. Okay. And for simple things, he didn't like the way something looked. He didn't like the way one of the children responded to him. He didn't. It was. He didn't like the fact that I. I was um, volunteering for a nonprofit and he didn't like the fact that we had board meetings that were at night and that would run late. Mm, so he didn't like the fact that I had friends that I talked to on the phone when he was home and I was home with him while I'm home with him. His attitude was I should be engaged with him fully. And if I'm not engaged with him, I need to be engaged with one of the kids. So, yeah, so there's a control mechanism there, obviously, that mm -hmm. he was trying to exert. And yes. um, first of all, I'm, I'm thankful that you're one of the lucky ones who yes. not only wreck, well, for a, a few reasons, although uh, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but at least, you know, for starters, you you endured it without any physical abuse. And that's that mm -hmm. right away is a, is a plus because that's just another layer, unfortunately, Statistics have already shown that many people who are coexisting and enduring this, you know, in, in this quarantine with with a, a significant other or whatever, are not surviving without the physical part. Yeah. And yeah. then the mental part, I can understand the anguish after a while because 
I'm assuming at some point during your marriage, you would sort of walk around on tiptoes. Yeah, we were walking. Anyway. We hit the point where we were walking on eggshells yes. one night. He had a what uh, gamblers call a tell when we when he was about to take a nutty, our, our euphemistic term for going to a rage. He would cough, so you'd hear this little, <clears throat> and then he'd pace. So one evening we're all home, and he starts to do this little cough, and he got up and he paced a couple of times, and I could see you could feel the tension grow in the room. And you could see the kids, every time he coughed, they'd jump. And every time he coughed, I'd jump. And I finally looked at him. I said, are you upset about something? Are you about to go off? Because this cough is really, really, um, it's messing with us. So if we, if you're about to go off, let me know so I can send the kids up to their rooms and you and I can engage or just sit down and stop because you really are messing with us. And you think that that would be the moment that the light would dawn in the marble, marble hallway. No, but we realized that there were there were nights when the tension in the house would be so thick that we could cut it with a knife because we're literally nobody knows what's going to make him go off. So now we're sitting around waiting on him to go off. Right. And so, yeah, it got to be a very, very tense and stressful situation. Okay, so you you. Were you know, were brave enough to face it, first of all, and I think part of your survival and your ability not to for it not to head towards something physical was the fact that you were probably strong enough that he possibly questioned you know because i think inherently abusers tend to you know the same punch at the wall is the is the redirection of what they really want to do to you the part of their rage so there must have been something in you that stopped him from going to the next step. Like, so if, if you cross that line that, or if he crossed that line that the result from you or the reaction from you or the consequence was, you know, something about your personality made him say, I'm not going to cross that line because I think generally abusers look to see the weaknesses in their prey. And a lot of times that determines how far they'll go. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that, I think that is true. I think, um, one of his biggest fears was that I would, I would walk away, which I ultimately did. Um, but I think that's why he never, he never got physically abusive. He didn't touch us in that way. Cause I think he knew that would be a breaking point for me. And yeah. when, when you yeah. did walk away, what was that journey like? Because and I'm asking you specifically about that because and, and, and I, and I want to say this to my audience before I continue that I'm not 247 Real Talk myself and your host. I'm not advocating destroying relationships. I'm advocating right. for people who are under abuse and under duress to, to walk away because they're, as a person, as a human being, they're worth more than that. And mm-hmm. many times, as you've already said, and we all, we all know that when an abuser says, I'm sorry, and then the, the behavior is repeated. It's not going to stop. It's it's, it's it, not going yeah. to stop. Right. So, tell them now, and tell us, and, and empower some of these listeners about your journey of walking away, what it was like, and and and, and, and what you needed in terms of support and strength to do so. Walking away was the most one of the most difficult things I've ever done, and it was when you when you have a situation where 
there's a separation with an imminent divorce, all of the hopes and dreams that you put into that relationship also die with the marriage. So when I walked away, I had gotten into the marriage with, you know, I'm 30. I was 30 years old when we got married, so we didn't get married young. We each brought a son to the relationship, so that's how I have four boys. And then we had two children together. So I got into the marriage for the long haul. This is the man I want to wake up with when I'm 75. You know, this is the guy I want to be buried next to. If he dies first, I want to die two weeks later. I want us to be that that closely knit. All of that went away, and it went away instantly. So that's what makes it really, really difficult, in addition to the fact that at the end of the marriage, he began to, to it became apparent that he was destroying my, my, my reputation. I'm an ordained minister. He married me as a preacher. I was a licensed preacher. I got ordained shortly after our separation. So he married a preacher, and then he began to try to destroy my reputation as a preacher in the area where we lived. So he's calling people that he knows who respect me and telling them that I'm a lesbian, that I'm in an adulterous relationship with someone, that <laughs> just crazy stuff. And that hurt because now we've been in, we've been married. We've got children. Now you're telling you're, you're deliberately trying to destroy my relationship. So that was extremely difficult. I will encourage anybody, get therapy. Find a good Christian counselor. I do everything from a bibliocentric standpoint. Find a good Christian counselor. Not only get therapy for yourself, get therapy for your children. Because one mistake that I made in the divorce was not acknowledging that my children were hurting as badly as I was. Right. And I was so deep in my own pain that I did not recognize theirs. So now get get help, get a therapist, get the support of a couple of good, close friends. I had two close, two close friends. And one of the friends is the one that my ex accused me of having a lesbian relationship with. But they were they were anchors for me. They they kept me accountable. They were the ones who recommended that I see a therapist in the first place. And one friend just said, go see a therapist, because if you're going to remain in this relationship, you're going to need to learn how to deal with it. Right. And you need that support for yourself. Um, So that started. He and I went to therapy together. He refused to continue therapy. That was the point when I knew that I needed to go and that I knew the marriage was going to end. Okay. So, yeah, so that, that's important from the perspective of, again, letting people know that number one, there is a way out. Number two, it takes, um, a lot of strength and a lot of support. Number three, that we should never ignore the fact that if there are children involved, that they're victims too. And even though they might not verbally expressive, we need to pay attention to the, to the fact that they're mm-hmm. victims too. Yeah. And, and so, but this affected you enough that you felt the need to do something and you wrote a book. So yep. tell me, tell us about, you know, what, you know, I, I, we understand. I mean, but I say that because a lot of people, you know, the, this world, this society is filled with a lot of people who have lived the same struggle that you have. So mm-hmm. what was it that made you decide, you know, I have to, right, I have to speak, I have to be a part of, I'm assuming now, 
the solution. Mm-hmm. It is interesting how the book came about because I didn't write the book immediately after things happened. That 15-month prayer call that I was on, it turned into 15 months of teaching sessions. Each woman, um, we just asked each woman, teach us whatever you're an expert in. Teach us whatever it is you know. Um, a lot of those women now have written books. They've started their own speaking platforms. So it was really interesting how the Lord caused this thing to come about. They finally said, Dr. K, why don't you do a teaching? And I went, okay, I'm not an expert on anything, but I am a minister. I had done a sermon based on the life of Leah called, While Waiting for You, I Found Me. And a friend who had heard the sermon, she said, why don't you develop a teaching around that sermon theme and see what you come up with? Leah's life began with a betrayal. Her father told her to go and consummate the marriage with her sister's husband. So when I started studying her life, the names of her children, it reminded me of my life. And the first thing she had to deal with was a betrayal. And I said, I had to deal with a betrayal. This man went out and told all of my friends that I was in an adulterous relationship. I was in a lesbian relationship. I was in the sadomasochism. I mean, as, as bad as he could make it, he made it. And I said, okay, we've worked through it because by the time I wrote the book, he and I are now friends. We will never get married, but we can hold a civil conversation with one another. We keep each other abreast of what's happening with the children. One of them lives um, overseas. One of them lives in Dallas with me and the other two live in Boston near him. So we stay in touch with each other. I had to ask myself, how did you get through this thing? How did you get beyond that betrayal? And that's what started it is looking at the steps that I took, doing some research and confirming those steps, and then forming that into actually a workbook that goes through four steps that will move you beyond betrayal. So it actually came up as a teaching to this group of women, and now it has expanded into a book, into my professional speaking career, and it's actually turned, it's it's come out to be some really, really sweet lemonade from some really bad lemons. Okay, so what are the the four steps that you refer to in your workbook that will move people out from the pain, as you say, painful prison of past betrayal into the wonderful deliverance of forgiveness and closure. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for asking. The first step is self-care. And we're hearing a lot about self-care now, and I think it's a great thing. Self-care not only incorporates um, how you eat, how you sleep, whether or not you exercise, stress relief. It incorporates what you do for your own emotional safety getting to a place of safety. For people who are still in that abusive relationship, self-care means getting to a place of safety. It doesn't mean that you have to end the relationship. You don't have to end in divorce, but you do need to get to a place where you can remain safe because you won't be able to heal as long as you're in danger. So the first step is just to begin to take care of yourself, to recognize what you need um, we can spend so much time trying to take care of that abusive person, making sure that they don't abuse. And we end up abusing ourselves in the process. I know when I first divorced, when we first separated, I spent my weekends literally eating large bags of Doritos and drinking coffee. My kids would go to his house and I would go to the store. I buy two large bags of barbecue Doritos and I'd make a pot of coffee. And for two days, that was my diet. 
and then playing computer games was my activity, trying to escape dealing with the pain. Right. So that first step is self-care, looking at examining every area of your life. I um, would get caught up in Lifetime movies and watching sad shows and doing things that did not help me. It didn't help me emotionally, didn't help me spiritually, didn't help me in relationship with my children. Again, my two anchors, my two close friends, the one connection I had with reality was talking to them and they would check on me daily. That's an, I want to pause you there for a second because that's an interesting comment that you made. It is, it is, it, I just found it strange enough to mention it because as I think about it, as you speak, it is something we do as human beings Whenever we're in a sad place, we go play sad music that actually makes us hurt more than we are already hurting. It's it's a self-pity type of mode that causes us to do the opposite of what we're supposed to. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we isolate ourselves. Yes. And music actually helped me out a lot. I started picking songs that did not amplify negative emotion. They actually amplified positive emotions. There was one by Helen Baylor that said, go, go on and cry. For a while, I tried not to show, you know, no tears. I'm mad at him. I hate him. I'm not going to be sad about this. And then I heard this Helen Baylor song that just said, go ahead and cry. Get it out of your system. You're not the first person that this has happened to. Now, remember, at this point, I'm a well-known minister and I'm getting a divorce. Right. So I don't want to reach out to church friends because now I've got to admit that I married the wrong, I, I married outside, I believe now, outside of the will of God. I married the wrong person. Um, and I didn't know enough, even though we had known each other seven years, I didn't know enough about his character as an individual, as a man. Uh, and didn't ask those significant questions because I wanted to be married. We didn't get counseling. We didn't have those conversations. And please, sisters, please have those conversations. How do you handle money? How do you deal with your anger? He was a hard worker, so we never had a need for for money. He worked hard. He brought his paycheck home. Didn't have to worry about that. What do you like to do for entertainment? (laughs) Do you like people? If he's the strong, silent type, realize that he may be so quiet that you have nobody to converse with, and then he wants to be the only person you talk to. Wow. Stop there again. That's, I want, you know, that is another powerful statement. My audience, I hope you appreciate the things that they, they may just uh, pass over or take for granted, but that's another powerful statement. If someone is a strong, silent type, understand what comes with that. You know, it's the funny thing because I think that the challenge there for many people getting into relationship is, and I've, and I think I've, I've, I've seen this happen before where, the strong, silent type is attractive pre-marriage because you're all excited and 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 you know giddy about being in love and all of that, and and at that point in the relationship, you've 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 gone through what many people do is that you've forsaken your friends and your social circle mm-hmm. for a moment, and this person is your whole world, and it seems like all you want their attention and. You know, it, and, and so the strong silent type is fantastic. But once you get married mm-hmm. and things start to normalize, there it goes. That's the problem. Yep. And you're craving conversation and he's not. Or I had the exact opposite. I had, he was the strong silent type when we were around people at home. 
he literally was chatty patty, took over conversations, and we entered into a period where it was him talking and me listening, and that was it. Right. So that that's the other side of that coin is you get the guy, and that's why um, I've I've come to understand that I was married to a narcissist. So everything became about him. When he talked, he talked about himself. If we did anything that worked out to be a good idea, it was his idea. <laughs> and if there was anything that was bad, it belonged. There was somebody else's problem. He right. was always the saint in the situation. Like I said, we went to counseling together. It took two sessions for the therapist to say, you guys need to be seen separately. Um, but he said, there are some issues that you have that you need to deal with absent Cassandra. And there are some issues she has that she needs to deal with apart from you. So I'm going to recommend that each of you continue counseling, but continue it separately. Right. And then after, then let's review it in three to six months. And maybe at that point, we can bring you back in to counsel together. So I was for it. Yes, there are some issues we need to resolve. I know there's some stuff I need to work on. And he literally went to one session and then refused to go to any more. Yeah, because then you're he's faced with reality. So, mm -hmm. so that was step number two. Step number three. That was that was step number one. Is self care. Okay, well, I'm step sorry. Number, okay, go ahead. Step number two. That's okay. Step number two is forgive. Okay. It's it's forgive, and not only forgive the one who betrayed you, forgive yourself in the betrayal, and that is really interesting because. As I said, I'm dealing with the dynamic of I'm a preacher who's married somebody who doesn't want to be a preacher. How does that look to the church? So I'm wrestling with this and I'm wrestling with why didn't I recognize the signs? Why didn't I pay attention to the signs? So I'm angry with myself that I've gotten into this relationship and I had to forgive myself. I had right. to say, Cassandra, it, it was a mistake on your part. But it does not determine your future. It It is not the determiner of your destiny. It was a bad decision. You've made bad decisions before. You will more than likely make a few bad decisions in the future. It is not unrecoverable. Right. But, and but forgiveness. Other people there, and I had, to, I had to talk to myself. There are other people who are divorced in the church. You're not the first pastor or preacher to be divorced. You have to forgive you. So I had to release my own guilt as well as release him from the guilt from my desire to get even with him. And that is, I'm going to pause again because these are such powerful points because real talk, real life, as a pastor, you, you without soliciting, soliciting anything, get held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. And you know we're in a we're in a time where there are things in the news going on. I'm not going to call names in the podcast, but I don't need to. People who are in the limelight right now, as we record today, um, uh, you know mm -hmm. that that are dealing with what is this uh, March 24th, 2021, um, with things in the public about you know. Family issues. Family and, yes. That's, that's, thank yep. you. That's, yeah, I'm trying not to be, I think everyone who knows, and I said the date purposely will kind of know who's in the news at this point. But mm -hmm. you're, you're faced with challenges and their family challenges and their, you know, there's the struggle between the parental responsibility, the parental dynamic or, or a characteristic of who you are as a parent versus the 
the, the, uh, being a pastor and, and that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I say this because I've, I've also, I also have friends who have, have gone through the struggle and some have gone in different directions. Some have um, re-energized their faith. Others have felt that they needed to walk away, like you said, from the church. Mm-hmm. And so it is a difficult thing. You know, just yesterday yeah. evening, I was having a conversation with someone and I was saying, if faith was easy, everyone would have it. Yeah, mm. and 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 I say that all the time because we have this. Um, and I know I'm digressing a little bit, but I think it's important in this conversation because I, I would hope that some of the people who are going to go through this struggle and walk away from it would understand the power of 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 believing and having faith. And you know, we 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 some people have this uh, misconception that. If you're if you're someone who has said, well, you have faith and and you you're you pursue that angle that you're exempt from pain, that you're exempt from struggles, that you're exempt, and you know God reigns in the just and the unjust. Yes. And so um, I you know I say all this to say that um, you know if 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 all of us just had faith and it, once we declared we had faith, everything in our lives went in a perfect manner, then it would be very difficult to discern who really believes in Christ, you know, when things are bad, when, 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 yeah. when nothing makes sense, when you're going through the abuse and the struggle and you, and, and you, you, you know, some of us, like you said, living in a, in a relationship where you're, you're, the, you're financially dependent upon the person and you're, you're dealing with fear of how do I make this on my own? How do I live in a world? How do I exist? How do I pay rent? How do I, you know, and, and and part of the danger of one of the things you spoke about is, and I've seen it happen, where the abusive partner will, when they're in a good mood, they'll shower the person, their partner, with gifts, and some of them are the type of gifts that can that are not um, pacifiers, but they're actually control mechanisms. And I say mm-hmm. that because, you know, give a person who's been walking a nice car. Yeah, you know, and yep. th- then they have to consider that in the, in the separation because the car is not mm-hmm. theirs, you know. And and do I want to live without it? And how am I going to exist without the car and the clothes and the shoes yep. and the, yeah? And so those and that that will keep you tied to the yes. relationship. Yes. I was a stay at home mom, so my sole source of income was him. Right, and that's so a control when I'm walking, mechanism. Looking at walking away, it's okay. I rent where we live was expensive. Right, so. <laughs> I, I haven't worked in seven years, so now I've got to find a job. Um, I've got to find a place where I can live because I moved out. I left him with the house. I moved out. Um, and then how do we govern with the kids? All of that. But I stayed in the relationship as long as I did because the thought was, okay, you have no job and you haven't worked in seven years. Right. So your resume has this huge gap. What do you do about that? And then you've also, as a pastor, have got to look your, your your congregation in the eye and explain yep. what they will only they, what they will see as a flaw as weakness in you they you know you know we have we have this um and I learned this too about my pastor who was an amazing man um that you know we we tend to forget that we're all people first. We're all human beings mm-hmm. first. You know, we're somehow when someone went and studied and, and, and became a pastor and God became ordained, 
it didn't exempt them from being a human being. It didn't right. exempt them from making nope. mistakes. It didn't exempt them from saying the wrong thing. It didn't exempt them from being right. a victim of someone else. You know, it doesn't mean that because you're a pastor, all of a sudden you can't be in an abusive relationship. And if you're in an abusive relationship, mm -hmm. because you're a pastor, you have to stay in that relationship. Right. Nobody, as you were talking earlier, I wanted to say no one is exempt from life. Right. The Bible says in this world, in this life, you will have struggle. You will have tribulation. Um, when you are a person of faith, though, you've got an anchor that keeps you from getting destroyed by the storm. Right. And that's where my, my walk with the Lord, my Christian faith, even though I, I was almost taken out. Um, I had a, a one moment where I had a suicidal ideation and the Lord kept me from harming myself. And for those who are thinking about it, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yes. Amen. That's, and that's, the that's last powerful. Thing you want to do is take a permanent solution to a problem that is temporary and understand it is temporary if you make it temporary. Yes. Because the choice to leave to get to a safe place, that is yours. And you are empowered to make that choice. Um, going back to the steps, the third step is to rebuild trust. Once you've dealt with self-care, you've dealt with forgiveness, and even if the person is no longer living, you can still forgive. You still have to forgive because forgive, unforgiveness is a prison where you lock the door and you stay inside the cell. So once you deal with forgiveness, then you start to rebuild trust, and trust is actually a muscle that when it has been wounded, when it has been hurt, think about when you pulled a muscle. The last thing you want to do with a muscle that has been pulled is use it. Right. But once the pain starts to subside, you need to begin to exercise it so that it regains its strength and it heals properly. Same with trust. Once a trust has been broken, and that's what a betrayal is, a betrayal is a breaking of a trust. I depended on you to do something. I expected you to do something, and you knew the expectation. Um, we planned. When that's broken, you have to rebuild the trust. Yes. And in that step, we examine the type of betrayal, examine the level of betrayal. How bad was it? Was it an innocent slip, or was it like mine? This guy's trying to destroy your life, trying to destroy your reputation, trying to take you out. You determine the level of the betrayal, and that determines how you respond to it. But you also work on developing other outside good relationships. Right. So you start to engage with people again. And will you pick me up at 630? You know, simple task. If they pick you up at 630, you know you can move a little further. If they don't show up at 630, they don't call. Okay, we can, we can walk away from this one. Right. You begin to learn who to put your trust in. And that it's okay to test it. It's okay to see if this person is legit. Right. And to not feel bad about, yep, I know I'm telling you to pick me up at this time. And if you're five minutes late, I will not be available to you. That's okay. That's actually okay. Because that tells you the caliber of the person that you're dealing with. And then the last step is to bring closure. That's that the hard actually, part. That's to put this thing to bed. That's a very and difficult thing. And to have that thing. difficult conversation. And we talk about that in the book. How do you handle that conversation? Do you feel the need to have somebody else involved? Um, what do you do when that conversation is over? What does that conversation lead to? And as I alluded to earlier, suppose I can't have the conversation because the person is not available to me. They died. They're in a different state. They're in prison. 
How do we still get closure? How do we still have that conversation? And it is doable. Right. That, that, that is, that is, you know, those four steps um, are, are by no means easy. Um, no. And, be, and I want to make sure my audience understands too. And anyone who is struggling with this uh, as they listen to this episode and, and, and looking to gain strength and, and boldness. And, and, and I also want people to understand that they're in the four steps that you have laid out. There, there, there are things that need to be done sometimes that go beyond that. And I want to say this because in, in, in executing those steps, if someone is violent and you know physically violent, you know especially, then they need to reach out to the authorities to stop it, and they need to yeah. be brave enough to do so. And I think something that we didn't uh, touch on, but once you start the journey, the biggest mistake you can make is to stop the journey. Right. Once you start into those four steps, because I think, and I've seen this with people too, where they're on their way out the door. And either something about the next step forward scares them enough that they pull back or they, they have a moment of weakness and they allow the abuser to talk them back in the door. And mm-hmm. that sort of is another anchor, another chain that they just wrapped around themselves because I think that just makes it harder. I think the determination has to be there and they have to utilize all of the resources that are available there to not only make sure that they execute the four steps, but they're able to do so safely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, again, there's there's so much uh, domestic abuse and these things that are going on these days, and unfortunately, there's so many victims. and 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 I'm going to touch on this real quick without upsetting my audience too much or, or taking them away from the topic. But you know, here in New York, it's been in the news too often recently that when you talked about the effect on the children, the effect on the children has been physical and the police are called to find a child who is dead or dying. Mm. And the, you know, the abuser has, has yeah. not, was not only abusive to the, to the, to the, the child's mother, but when child. she's not around, that abuse turns to the children. And in some cases, somehow the mother didn't recognize it. In other cases, the mothers know it's going on, but accept it because of the same reasons we touched on of financial security or fear of being alone or, you know, there's so many things. And unfortunately, things. some mothers just figure, okay, well, he's beating, as long as he's beating him, he's not beating me. Right. And that's unfortunate. It becomes a matter of survival. Right. And that is, that is unfortunate. And to that person who may hear this, who's in that position, you can recover. I, I can't say that enough. You walk away, and amazingly enough, there are people who will help you. There are organizations. There are places that you can go to. There are safe houses. But you will not be, you, you can't get to a safe place if you stay in a dangerous place. Yes, absolutely. You've got to exercise. The one, I, I was explaining to somebody, one of the reasons that we can say that Human beings are the highest form of creation and made in God's image in that we have choice. We have animals do not have choices. They operate on instinct. They can't choose their environment. They, they, are, they gravitate to their environment based on instinct. We get to choose. 
Right. You are empowered with choice. Exercise your power. Exercise the choice. And I don't know, even with COVID, I don't know anyone whose abuser is home 24-7. When he leaves, you leave. <laughs> grab, grab a few necessities and roll on out. Yeah. You know, grab a couple of pair of underwear, pack a bag for the kids, and go to a police station. They will receive you. They know where the safe houses are. Go yeah. to the fire department. They will receive you. They know where the safe houses are. Yes, that is that is absolutely great advice. And you know, as we as I get ready to wrap up this episode, I think one thing I also want to um, let my audience know is that you have not stopped at the book. You are, as we discussed before we started this episode today, you're taking it one step further and becoming a part of the political mechanism that can effect change. So tell us about that. I am. I thank you. Thank you for remembering and for bringing it up. I am running for uh, the city council seat for the district in which I live. I live in Duncanville, Texas, which is a small city outside of Dallas, Texas. And um, a friend asked. We had a, a, a vacancy. The person who's in that position now decided not to run for reelection. And a former city councilwoman who I, whom I know called me and she said, he's not running for reelection. Are you ready to run? And I said, you know what? Yes. I can't complain about any situation if I'm not willing to do something about that situation. And I happen to love the city that I live in. I want to see it remain a city that I love living in. That is, that is absolutely fantastic. And the one way fantastic. to ensure that is to become part of, the, part of the leadership of the city. Leadership makes a difference. Yes. Yes. Changes made in leadership. Yes. So, mm-hmm. um, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know it's late, but you know, this is such an important conversation. Um, one that should be had over and over again in, in an effort to spare some people the anguish and, and in an effort mm-hmm. to, you know, spare, you know, stop seeing this repetitive behavior and, and allowing it to continue. The more people that step away the more empowerment that there is. So thank you so much for being on the show. It's been my absolute pleasure. And um, thank you. Thank uh, you. This has been a privilege and an honor for me. And we, we, you know, same here. And I wish you the best of luck in your uh, venture to become a part of solution politically. And I'm sure my audience will wish you the same. Um, Thank you. Thank you. You're quite welcome. I'm going to ask you to stay on the line as I, uh, close out the episode. Okay. Thank you. I want to say a very special thank you to Cassandra, Dr. K. Brown. What amazing information and insights and hopefully empowerment for those who are dealing with this struggle, that they too may stand up, that they too may take step one, step two, step three, and step four, and make a change for the lives, and if appropriate or if relevant, to change for the lives of their family and their children. As always, I want to thank all of my listeners for your continued support. As I remind you, you can listen to any episode of 247 Real Talk on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you'd like to send me a message, 
You can email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until we do this again, do take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>